Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show. And we're here today in St. Helens with a very, very knowledgeable person, massively into HMOs and, and also serves accommodation as well. Uh, Ian Reid, welcome Ian. Cheers, boys. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been emotional already. <laughs> been a blast. How are you doing? Good. Um, I mean, we've uh, we've already had a coffee and we've already had a look at what one two three different properties yeah, yeah, yeah. and we've had a good chat it'd be nice it would have been nice to cut to bring some of that chat into uh into this chat really but I, you know i'll try and i'll try and give as much information as possible and one thing i'm very cognizant of whenever i watch a youtube or listen to a podcast is getting as much content across as yeah, possible yeah. and making it valuable for the uh for the listener so uh, let's try and give as much content as possible, actionable yeah. content, stuff they can take away and really listen listen to and implement and things they can do. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, do you want to give a bit of a background of how you got started in, in property in general? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. SA or and HMOs and... A bit, a bit of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I left school at 16 with a, an interest in graphics and creativity and ultimately started an apprenticeship at a local council as a joiner. Uh, a carpenter and joiner so that is 12 weeks in the joiner's shop making windows making doors and then the rest of your three-year apprenticeship on site fitting doors fitting windows skirtings architraves small roofing detail anything woodwork related or or now upvc related what I quite quickly realised as I was fitting a piece of skirting board with my chin resting on a toilet <laughs> and God done it story, only two miles away in Parr, which is quite a, a, a poorer area of St Helens was, and it was rough and it was quite smelly, the, the house I was working in. I just thought, I don't want to be doing this at 50. Um, and I, and I, I just had this kind of like, my mum calls it a personal renaissance, and it was just a, a, a mindset shift inside where I thought, you know, in order to change, uh, I'm going to have to do something different. So I think that night I enrolled in... Um, a extra class at university at, at college, really, yeah. um, which was back then it was called a BTEC um, in the in the in building technology. Yeah. Um, so the joinery gave me the appreciation of site woodwork, um, a little bit around health and safety. Yeah. The the BTEC in construction gives you a much wider 
understanding of plumbing, um, plastering, building, brickwork. And my confidence levels skyrocketed because I was then walking around the, um, the joinery site or the builder's yard with a much bigger appreciation for all the other trades. Yeah. That was a two-year course that I used to do from 6 a.m. 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. two nights a week alongside being an apprentice and studying for the apprenticeship as well, NVQ level two and three. But even in those moments, I realised at the end of that BTEC that I still had a hunger for something else. So I enrolled in a four-year building surveying degree at Sheffield Hallam University. And that really like skyrocketed my understanding because then the appreciation goes from trade activity to the wider professional angle. So you understand okay, yeah. what the engineer does, what the architect does, yeah. uh, what the surveyor does, uh, what the quantity surveyor does, what civil engineering is, what building surveying is. You just get you just get this huge picture of the entire industry then, what planning is, yeah. uh, landlord and tenant law. You know, yeah. these are stuff that back then I was doing age kind of like 20, 21, 22, 23 with no, no awareness that I was going to be a property investor yeah. down the line. But looking back, oh, wow, what a fantastic grounding, you know, yeah. in, into the industry. In my final year at uni, I did a, a stint for TV, for Mersey TV, Conquer Boy Films, which was on yeah. Discovery Home and Leisure. That's a fantastic little road we can go down but just to kind of uh, stay on track I got to a stage in that degree in construction and surveying where I was at like a crossroads of I could go into IT okay. or yeah. I could I could I could go and get a job uh, in the property industry and back then IT was booming and I chased the money which yeah. was I don't know this this you know this, there's two ways of looking at that, but I, I, for, for, for 10 years, I took a career in IT where I did sales, project management, program management, training. I was in, in the financial services industry um, and I did a whole load of international travel. And that job gave me enough of a income and enough of a, a salary and allowed me to build the credit file, which really led me to investing mm -hmm. um, and I was about three years into that and I realized I wasn't gonna I, I, my expectations of salary progression in the corporate world just weren't gonna come to fruition okay. salary yeah. salaries didn't go up yeah. like I wanted it and that's when I um, I got the property bug around about 2003 2004 I went to I went to a Tony Robbins event and it just fueled me to think, right, I need to do something. And I spent the first 18 months on the sidelines, going to the property exhibitions, reading the books, podcasts weren't around, YouTubes weren't around. <laughs> it was CD-ROMs. So how, how old were you then? Paper copies. 2003, born in 75, so 22, 23. Okay. Probably not dissimilar to you, your I'm age. Sorry, yeah, 25. 25, yeah. Yeah, 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 I knew you were a bit older. Um, and in hindsight now, God, I'm so glad I did it at that yeah, age. And yeah. Getting to know my business partners now, Jack and Jim, who are 24, 25, uh, huge respect for them at this age for having the awareness now. Yeah. Because if you, property is a long game. And if you make the decisions now to get involved, mm -hmm. it'll pay off at when you're 45, 50, 55. Yeah.
I was tinkering around the sidelines every morning, getting up at 4am and 5am, and I was on right move. Right move was around, believe it or not, back then, <laughs> it was very early age, very yeah. early days. And I remember somewhere, somewhere around 18 months into kicking around the sidelines, just literally going viewing a property, picking up the phone and just making an offer, even though I knew it wasn't below market value, yeah. it wasn't necessarily in the best area, it wasn't the best property, but I just had to take some action. I just had yeah. to take an action. Put your foot in the door. I had really. to, yeah. and it wasn't the best purchase. I've still got it now, mm -hmm. and there's a fantastic story about, it's now a four bed Minimo. Uh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. even know what an HMO was back <laughs> then. But that place basically got turned into a cannabis farm without me knowing, yeah. The way my process, you know, the way it went for me was single let, single let, single let, HMO. Because mm -hmm. I'd realised after like three single lets that there's just no money in single lets. Mm -hmm. And the HMO we bought, we invested 30k's worth of like proper cash, liquid cash into kitting it out and fitting it out. Took us about six months back then. I predominantly did all the work myself whilst working. Right. I had this concept at the time of trying to, trying to build up the assets in stealth mode mm -hmm. and I'd encourage anyone if you are in a job at the minute don't leave your job do it in stealth mode do it before work do it after work do it at the weekend mm -hmm. that's one strategy it's not yeah. it's not for everyone but um I, I, you know I, I, I there was a disabled plumber that I know who'd had a stroke and I, I took him along and I sat him in the room and he taught me how to do the copper pipes to, yeah. to the boiler and, and and I just kind of did everything bootstrapped that was the Prescott Road property, um, which is now a licensed five bed, freshly painted, all fire doored HMO. But back then, it just wasn't that onerous. You could get it, yeah. and, and, and as quick as you can, you can get, you know, fill in the rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, things have changed. I think I did two more single lets, but by that time, I was just like, no, HMO, HMO, HMO. And, and from that point forward, I never looked at a single let's i just fully turned my back on that and just purely focused on hmo so ian uh just going back to what we we're just talking about we're looking at scaling our business and our kind of plans for the future we're looking to do it in gradual stages so we're not taking on too much at one time trying to minimize risk starting kind of small and gradually building up how would you relate that to someone who's looking to get into hmos yeah. what way would you recommend them starting off Obviously, you could go straight in for your seven bed, eight bed, nine bed, ten bed HMOs. But I think if you do that, you and you're fresh, you're exposing yourself to a lot of challenges regarding risk, regarding um, trades, regarding price overruns, um, regarding the implications, the challenges of managing ten tenants. Mm. So I would step it right back and potentially look at a four bed minimo, which is a mini HMO. Some of the benefits, depending on your area, assuming you've got no uh, Article 4 directions in your area, you could possibly pick up a two-bed, two-reception room house, make some minor adaptations, and, and that controls, you know, the risk of overspending on plastering is contained. The risk of overspending on joinery is contained. Your capital fit-out costs for your four beds your one washing machine, your one fridge freezer are contained and it gives you a chance to run a four bed Minimo without the necessary five 
bed licensing implications. So basically, if you if you do a five bed HMO, certainly where I am, you and in fact nationally from the first of October, you need a license, which means you have to have fire doors on every bedroom, fire doors on the kitchen, heat and smoke alarm in the kitchen, intermittent strips on all the fire doors. If you don't need the license for a four bed, all of them regulations and stuff, what's What's the script with Dalla here? It's a bit of a grey area. It, it, it is a bit of a grey area. I've had the licensing officer out to one of my four beds and she still insists on the same level of protection okay. yeah. and cover that I'm doing in my five beds. The only real difference is that the five beds require the formal paperwork for the smoke test. The fire bed, the five beds require the license itself, which is a cost exercise. It therefore requires floor plans. Um, it requires this, the, the submission of the application and the issuing of the license by yeah. the authority. So why did she come round then? Did, did she... In my issue, it was the cannabis farm okay. um, and the one of the neighbours was unhappy about what she perceived as a load of flats getting built next door, which was a crazy, <laughs> a crazy accusation. And she caused major chaos with the planning officer, building control, environmental health, one other department. I think she even went for trading standards. She was so rattled right. with this new HMO. I mean, that HMO is probably one of the nicest looking houses on the street. <laughs> yeah. It's got a brand new composite door. It's got a full house of UPVC windows. Yeah. It's got a brand new kitchen, a brand new bathroom. It's got four freshly plastered, she wasn't bothered when it was a cannabis farm. <laughs> Honestly, she, yeah, big, you know, it's now got lovely residents, lovely guests, lovely tenants that are looking after it. Um, and as I said to you earlier, I pay more attention to the HMOs. I'm there more frequently. I'm involved more, making sure that they're all run, almost like as little micro hotels or little micro guest houses or yeah. little micro lodgings, however you call them. Um, so, it, 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 I think it is a bit of a grey area, the four bed and the three bed, um, because it's not, the, the compliance from the council is not there in the same way it is when you go five people or more. And that's quite an important distinction that it's five people or more that throws you into the compliance, yeah. not necessarily the five bedrooms. You could have, you could have a four bed. Minimum. Oh, okay, with two people in one room. Yeah, or, okay, or okay. you know, let's make it even more clear cut. Let's say two couples in two of the rooms, so you're six people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Then that makes that a licensable HMO. Okay. There is a there is a there is a lot to get your head around. I think in to understand the world of HMO, and we were talking earlier about ways to minimise your risks yeah. and minimise your exposure and your strategy of. Like, say, for example, you guys wanted to try an HMO. A great way would be to partner with someone who'd done them, and a great way for you would be to keep it small and sweet and succinct in the first step and just go for a two-bed, two-up, two-down, ideally with a, 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 some amenity space like this conservatory because yeah, yeah. that just makes it more of a attractive asset for any of your potential guests doesn't it you know what yeah, yeah, yeah you know i come here i came here uh, monday night when i was doing that manual eviction and one guy was watching telly and uh, a guy who just moved in that weekend was having a chat and i chatted to both of them for 10 minutes because of this space whereas if they're all in their bedrooms you can still knock on and go i house things but then you're chatting in the doorway yeah it's yeah. not quite the same you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. managing risk and controlling risk for yourselves 
partner with someone or get mentoring or get assistance or just get you know free love get as much free free yeah, assistance yeah, you can yeah. do the do the four bed because then you'll just when you know when your electricians are coming around because like even on my four bed I've, I've gone for hardware integrated smoke alarms in okay, all the bedrooms okay. i have you could argue it's a little bit of a gray area Dif- different people have different interpretations of it our council interpret the legislation it's not although it's a national standard our council have a different interpretation on the standard yeah. in some areas mm-hmm. um i think epcs are a bit of a gray area mm. you read many websites that say if you operate an hmo you don't need an e- epc yeah okay. you'll you'll read that and yet my officer is saying i disagree with that and i'd like you to have them and she's allowed me a little bit of a grace period so so it's basically the discussion of the officer that you get it to, to some extent that that's how i've seen it play out in my area you know okay. uh, i haven't i haven't necessarily seen hard and fast rules about every single element there are you know at 41 at the moment we've produced a spec and we've presented that to the council and said this is the spec we're building it to yeah. and they're very happy mm-hmm. um, if there was something in that spec they didn't like for example um we uh, in one spec we specified a 10 mil gap um, underneath the bedroom doors just to allow for some circulation space they didn't like that really, they, yeah. they want a tighter gap all the way around okay. because they don't want smoke infiltration coming fine so that they are reading these specs and they are giving you advice do you know i i i was quite i'm not i'm not adversarial but i felt it was quite adversarial when all of this compliance come in and one of my tips to to you guys would be if you're going to go and do a four bed minimo in liverpool and make sure you've got the funds there from your jv partner or your investor and invite the council in to say here's our spec Here's our floor plans. Come and walk round. This is what we're intending to do. Yeah. Have you got any comments? Now I think in Liverpool they're a bit. Um, they, they they see that as a chargeable activity, and I'm not sure they will come out for yeah, nothing yeah, to yeah. do it. Yeah. We're quite smaller here. We've only got like one, two, three hundred HMOs max. So right. we've had that luxury that they've yeah. come out, and we've had the fire officer out, and we've had environmental health out, and we've we've been able to do that. Um, and that's really satisfied my investors that we all know what we're doing. We all know what we're playing, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, what grade we're playing to. Mm-hmm. Say for someone who's just starting out and doing a four bed minimum, and obviously they want to keep their refurb costs down, but at the same time they still want to meet as much safety regulations as possible. What are the main, the like main the minimums? So it's like fire doors, yeah. widen, fire alarm, what else? Well, I personally, I, if I was doing it, I would try and get them funds in place so that, all of the bedroom doors have the fire door. Yeah. All of the bedroom doors have the intermission strip. It had the overhead door closer. Um, it had. I would. I would go for the integrated, uh, interlinked, hardwired smoke alarms in the bedrooms, okay. communal areas, and kitchen. It is a big investment. Um, How much would you say? Just generally. Uh, I would probably allow anywhere between eight eight hundred and a thousand for your smoke alarms. Yeah. I personally allow around three fifty per door and frame in labour. Okay. It's not, yeah, it's not okay. cheap. It's not cheap. And, and, and don't go in deluded thinking you'll get it cheap. If you're going to have that investment for 20 years, you want those doors operating almost engineered, like, you know, you want precision gaps, 
precision precision locking. So it's worth actually spending that money because it's it you won't have to redo the work in a few years. And time you'll get less time. call outs from the yeah, tenants. Yeah. And when the HMO officer comes round, she'll check one door. And if she if she sees how great it is, you know, she might be less harsh on checking it every single one to the ninth degree because yeah. she understands that you understand the importance of the great fit. And in terms of say council tax now as well and the HMO compared mm. to single let now I know mm. different jurisdictions are, are they operate differently mm. you know a straightforward single let is just for the whole building yeah. say no for a minimum what way yeah. does the council tax work in that sense? yeah well a, a massive topic and you could easily do a two or three hour podcast just on this topic alone but in short the voa they it's the voa that basically assess the property um that stands for valuation office agency i think okay. you can google that um I've had an inspection here, I've had an inspection over the road, and I've had an inspection. In fact, that was the fourth body that came to me, uh. Cannabis Farm. I've had an inspection there. An assessor came out, he asks to see in the bedrooms. What he's looking for is, they call it SCUs, self-contained units. Linda Wright from Planet Wright explains this really, really succinctly. Five or six years ago, an SCU, a self-contained unit, was a unit that you could theoretically stay in for 24 hours and not require, there'd be no requirement for you to leave the SCU. Okay. And that yeah. makes it SCU. So an SCU would have kitchen facilities, washing facilities, sleeping facilities. Okay. So if you think about like a one bed apartment mm. with its own kitchen and its own bathroom and its own bed space and maybe living space, it's self-contained, it's clear cut, it's eligible for council tax because it's a self-contained unit. Right, five years ago, that was the way the world looked. That argument helps me be compliant in the fact that I need one council tax for this property because this was a three bed residential mid terrace mm -hmm. with one kitchen, one bathroom, and three bedrooms. When you do the adaptation to five bedrooms, I purposefully do not make any of the units SCU, I don't make any of them self-contained because as soon as you do, mm. I think you're giving the licensing officer, sorry, the, um, the valuation officer, mm. things to play with. You can say, well, hang on a second, this guy's got a kitchen, he's got a bathroom, he's got a bedroom, he's got a lounge, it's a mm. self-contained unit. Ammunition to start. It's got ammunition. Yeah, yeah. So I deliberately don't, don't do that because in my mind, it's it's wrong to classify any of my rooms as self-contained. They're not. You, you have to come out to use this bathroom. <laughs> you have to come out to use this kitchen and this washing machine. So I, I've really engineered my product to make sure it doesn't fall foul yeah. of that. However, some councils, when you read on the forum, they're interpreting the VOA manual. They have a massive manual on this differently. They're disregarding self-contained unit and they're saying things like if there's been extensive adaptation and change of the property that is a tick in the box in the favor of the valuation officer for example mm. if each room had a little kitchenette mm. but you were trying to say well we share bathrooms at the end of a block they weren't washing with that because they were saying like there's no sharing of a toilet, you, you have exclusive use of that toilet when you go down there. My, my officer, when he came, the valuation officer, he, he shared with me some of these case studies. Right. So that he, he wasn't a complete ogre around that. And it, it is a minefield. It is something you want to get your head around. I don't think it's something that should stop you investing in the asset class. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I think it's definitely something to get your head around. Be aware. Mm -hmm. there's, there's Facebook groups now where you can join and you can see how people are dealing with this because some councils are coming down hard and saying, you know, we're classing each unit as a self-contained yeah, yeah. unit. I which think, what did I think we read or seen or something about someone who had like a nine or ten bed HMO all en suite and, and, and they were getting the council and now enforcing that Every they had room. to pay council tax yeah. per room. Yeah. Some people have appealed it and mm. you can appeal it and there's there's certainly groups of landlords getting together on Facebook groups to, to fight this. But if you ask me it's wholly wrong yeah. to do it. Um the downside of investors is largely they are like I can I like them to like the feline cat community. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying though? It's quite a it's quite an individualistic um, activity and trade. You, you yeah. don't invest in packs. Yeah. You don't work in packs. No, Investors no. don't come together very well. Um, it's quite an isolated. It, although it's quite a sharing community, mm. it's also. Whereas the hotel industry is different, the hotel or the farming industry is different. The farmers come together and create large farming um, kind of like lobby groups, yeah. Yeah. and the hotel industry does that as well. But the investors, yeah. we've got the RLA and the NLA, which is merging, and they don't particularly, um, in my mind, they don't particularly come together and fight causes together. Right. I think the world will look radically different in ten or fifteen years' time. I think licensing is going to give the VOA and any government organisation huge insight into the stock of properties yeah. because if we go back 10 years 10 years ago the council had no idea how this property was configured internally yeah i mean this is quite a recent thing only done this in the last three years but now someone can run a report and go show me all the hmos in st helens you know, show me all the hmos in liverpool a huge data set comes up of two and a half thousand hmm, hmm. How much council tax would we get if overnight we made all those two thousand five you know, yeah. and and that's how decisions could be made, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you know, and the councils are desperate for cash, mm, absolutely yeah. desperate for cash. But if you ask me, the person that's gonna suffer is the poor guy who's you know, paying like hundred pound a week or ninety pound a week or oh, eighty pound yeah. a week because he's now going to have to be entitled to pay council tax yeah. on a room when he's not got any of that facility. So, mm -hmm. if the councils are looking to extract more money from this asset class, I think it needs to be done by whole house banding rather than individual rooms. So instead of being band A, there's like a council, there's a HMO, HMO band, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, and it's like yeah, 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 it's like A plus or A star star. Yeah. Um, Personally, I, there's been so much change since October with all the compliance regulation and the, the licensing costs. Mm -hmm. I think it would massively disrupt the HMO market if mm -hmm. extra costs come in. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Ultimately, like you said, it's the people at the end of the chain who are paying for the rooms. Mm -hmm. You know, if even if the landlords have to pay for it, for the council tax, you're going to push the room prices off, aren't it, you? Like, it, so yeah, it's just, it's just going to happen. And the council will say things like, that can't happen. You shouldn't do that, and the you know this cost can't be passed on. But the reality is, for new investors coming in, when they're costing out the the costs, that's going to go in as a cost, isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, yeah, so. factor. You could honestly talk about that as a topic. This in HMO, you could talk about compliance, you could talk about licensing, you could talk about planning, you could talk about four bed, five bed, six bed, seven bed. You could just you could, it's a really deep topic. Mm -hmm. 
throats going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that sort of subject, is there any issues that you've ever had with planning before? I've had an interesting one crop up where I had a six-room shared house and we found some extra space. You know, we're talking about uh, sweating the asset, squeezing the lemon. We found some extra space by giving some of the rooms en suites and then that freed up space in a bathroom. It was a huge bathroom where we were able to then create a seventh bed within nice. the footprint of the building. I was really proud of that. So we nice. did it. And at the time, I wasn't aware of the planning implication. Going from a six bed to a seven bed takes you out of the residential use case into the sui generis okay. use case. But I found our council really good. They just said, look... We're aware this has happened. I'm not sure how the awareness kicked in. And they a letter sent, uh, a visit takes place. You then have to submit a planning application with a notification on the lamppost to say, do, yeah. yeah, we're going from you know this house. And, and they help you write the, if you like, the, the tagline or the, the, the title of the planning application. So application is sought to go from six bed HMO to seven bed sui generis. So that's where in my favor, Good, good tenant relations, good neighbour relations, well-managed HMO, clean, tidy, compliant with all the fire doors and smoke alarms, just well-run and well-appointed. Mm. All of that stood me in favour of get, getting that granted with no resistance. Yes. Part of the reason I think I've done okay there is, again, that house is in an area. Now, like when we arrived, I was telling you that one of the things that can go in your advantage is choosing houses where the area lends itself to the HMO. Mm. Yeah. And the flip side of that being, if you took it to, you tried to set up next to a school in a beautiful leafy suburb where you've got high density of owner-occupier, mm. you, you're going to struggle. Whereas right. if you take it to an area where there is strong rental demand, right. strong number of renters mm. in an area of mixed commercial and residential use, they're all your factors, I think, that lend towards A, a commercial revaluation, and B, a higher chance of getting your planning app through. Yes. And this area fits that model. So my advice to you guys would be, if you were, at some point in the next two or three years, going to do a four-bed HMO, like you've looked towards the location carefully where your SA is, yeah. HMO's the same. End terraces work quite nicely, less mm. people to annoy areas of higher rental density worked well because you've got less owner occupiers who are going to say object object yeah. object you know yeah. Th those owner occupiers that object i can see it from both sides you know there's a lot of people that say oh i wouldn't want an h and next to me mm -hmm. but at the end of the day well run well managed carefully selected tenants that integrate well in the house that are all working they're all factors that minimise your risk. And if you look at what you're doing in your SA business, on balance, the, a lot of SA operators are avoiding the one-night stays because the one certainly the one-night Friday night stays can attract the party. Yeah. They're looking for the contractor bookings midweek. They're looking for two days minimum. So it's, it, the way you're controlling the, which guests apply mm -hmm. to stay in your SA, you can control that on an so, HMO, yeah, yeah. similarly on an so, HMO. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, God, you don't want... You don't want crazy parties in your place because yep. it's just a huge headache for you and it costs you money and it pisses your neighbours off. Yep. 
and it's the same in HMO. So we were just touching that then, like so. Say if um, a new potential tenant came to you, how would you kind of, I suppose, vet them or screen them? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. Kaz asked me that last night because we were trying to think about how we can add value. And we touched earlier on in the coffee shop around stereotypes and patterns of behaviour. And without stereotyping too much, we do stereotype, don't we? We do. Yeah, we we, 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 we do. I think if you were looking for a girl and a night out, you will have certain stereotypes in your mind of the girl you want to be with and the girl you don't want to be with. Yeah. And I think it's the same in, in, in HMO. I, I, the way I do it is I, first of all, I look at the nature of their inquiry on spare room or via text or via whatsapp or via facebook how are, how have they come across in that very first instance mm. so uh, i'll try and do it really black and white to give you extreme examples all right mate spliff in the photo looking for uh, a, looking for a place <laughs> me and my missus just got kicked out so that's a really extreme example but it happens yeah because there is a certain sector of society that think that is the way you do it flip side 55 year old gent in describes himself as a gentleman uh, working locally at XYZ local employer been there 20 years just splitting up from a relationship with my partner you know right okay winning hands down so that's the initial communication the phone call all right la what blah, 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 blah. you know <laughs> and you get it yeah. as opposed to someone who can, can coherently put together a phone call yeah they might be a bit vulnerable but they can put together a phone call. Okay, so there's the second stage. Third stage, the meet. Can they turn up on time? Can, yeah. can they find the property themselves? Mm. Yeah. You know, because if, if they can't get to the property and, and find the property and, and shake hands with you at the doorstep, um, and then when you're showing them round, you get, a, you get a feel for like, is this the kind of guy or girl that I can work with? Yeah. You know, you still get it wrong. You still get it wrong all day long, but... Um, is this someone that I could do business with? Is this someone that if there was a problem, I can resolve? Um, that's very much the style, my style. And I, I, even the same style with my investors, you know, I've, I, I'm all about, can I meet them? Can I shake hands with them? Do they seem like if there's an issue, they're normal and human, you know, like plastering overruns by three days, or plaster wasn't aware that that was in the thing and it's gonna be another 150 quid. Are we all human and normal and we can kind of say, and we can deal with it that way? Yeah. That's the way I like to do it. I don't think there's a huge need for massive lengthy contracts, yeah. but it's a judgment call, isn't it? And, yeah. and you know, if there's any alarm bells on that um, site visit, that's when you can potentially put some hurdles in the way of the application to see just how serious they are. So if you've got, if you've got, any, if you've got any doubts, you can say, well, can I see some screenshots of your bank account? Yeah, references. Can I see some references? If he's not comfortable giving you screenshots, or if so, all of a sudden his phone's broke and it, then mm. you know they, yeah, 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 yeah. they, they, they <laughs> you want in sense. And it's, and it's the same in service accommodation, isn't it? In the yeah. fact that you know, I know James is really good at our end on making sure the terms and conditions are signed, and um, you know, again, asking them what you're coming up for. Because we, you know, we we had this. We had seven people coming up one night for two nights stay. We want to know the age group of that group, the average age. We want to know are they coming here for work? The last thing we want is someone coming for two nights of partying. Yeah. And, and it's the same in HMO. You've got to try and kind of weed out 
potential problems. Mm -hmm. What else am I looking for? It's this, this is a tragedy and it is ageist, but I often use as a benchmark and a filter. Am I prepared to stand by my words and stand on stage and say it? And, and I would say you've got to be careful with the younger people, you know, like, and it is the very ageist thing to say, but I've had more problems with the 18 to 25 demographic than I have with the 55 plus demographic. Yeah, okay. Yes. And I yeah. just, I don't, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd defend that. And, you know, what do you think on that one? Like, let me ask you. Uh, this is, seems like fairly kind of a, yeah, it's a, a fair yeah. comment. Like, fair yeah, comment, yeah. 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 No, no, but comment, it's yeah. good to ask because um, you could imagine if you were asked that on BBC News, is it okay to say that? Is it politically correct to say that? But at the end of the day, no, these think, are patterns that have yeah. emerged over 15 okay. years of experience. Yeah. Why give yourself a headache, you know? If 25 plus, like I'm 25 now, and I'm just sort of, I don't know, everyone's got their own sort of time frame, haven't they? But I've just sort of, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out of that childish phase and yeah. past all that, yeah. that sort of, but I can imagine, you know, me and the group of my mates when we were 19, 20. Yeah, I'm bringing you on at the house there. party, bring yeah. you on Saturday night, you're bringing out a load of your yeah. friends back to your yeah. house, and you know, that's just the yeah. age group, really. Like, I've, done, I've done it. Done it. And I've done it, and it's not, it's just something you spot, and it's just trends you pick up on, and I think the world's going a bit crazy if we can't say that, and right. say that that's something to look out for. Yeah. Uh, likewise, 55 plus are great, because in my mind, they've got good values, they've got good beliefs, um, they're honest, they might still have some financial problems, but they'll come to you and say, hey listen, I've got a problem here. Do you know... The, the cannabis farm, I, let, let's, let's, let's talk about that because there's some real value for yourselves or anyone else. So the cannabis farm, it's a house in, uh, in Mendit Grove. It's the first house I actually bought, 70,000, set out as a two bed mid terrace with a lounge and a diner and a kitchen and a toilet upstairs. It operated reasonably well as a single let, you know, 50 quid some months, 75 quid the other months, 108 hundred odd quid the next month but then a tenant would not pay for like three months and you know and or four months and it was it was just my whole point about single lights they're messy one of the problems i experienced as a self-managing landlord was as you're trying to do what you guys are doing now we've been talking about this morning which is you're splitting yourself off between meeting landlords meeting investors meeting agents um doing your own research yeah you're splitting your time up in so many ways that your your landlording time also gets finite and and you when the te when when tenants become problematic for you like in the single let market and they're calling you up about leaky taps and leaky toilet you kind of get conditioned to want easy to manage tenants um and this this is I'm building up to the cannabis farm because the property became available, we popped it on the market, and along came a very sweet Asian guy with his wife, who might have been pregnant at the time, and a young baby in the back seat. And he came to the property, and he was very polite, very well-mannered, great nature. I asked him things like, look, I'm after a tenant who, you know, can solve simple things themselves. I'm not really looking to be mithered mm. too much. And he said, yeah, no problem. Anyway, paid his first month's deposit cash, paid his first uh, month's rent cash. Month one, went into the bank, paid cash, boom. Month two, paid cash, boom. Month three, paid cash. No phone calls, no mithering about tax and landlord's insurance or gas or electric or leaky this or leaky that. Just, mm. 
effortless. And I remember we, I'd look to my wife and, we, oh, this is, we've got a good one, we've got a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, money hit month four, money hit month five, money hit month six. He moved in around the September, and I think it was the 9th, 10th, or 11th of February. I remember getting a phone call from one of my other tenants over the road because right. I had two houses on this road, and she was Eastern European. And it was actually, I think it was a, a WhatsApp message or a, a Facebook message, and it said, Ian, Ian, you need to come quick. Police everywhere, police everywhere. And it was a really interesting thought because I, I, I remember thinking through, okay, so I've got a single let property, and there's police there. I've got HMOs. When the police come to my HMO, I go down and find out what's happening. But yeah. in a single let, at the time, I thought, could be a domestic. Yeah. Mm. Could have had a break-in. It could have actually been caught speeding and the police have come to visit him to discuss something. It could have been any number of issues, yeah. that. Mm. So I didn't actually go down immediately. But I did text the tenant and say, um, Hiya, is everything okay? And he wrote back, he goes, Yeah, everything's fine. So I thought, Okay. Everything's fine. If there'd been a break-in, he would have said, you know, yeah. he, he, and he was very quick to respond. Anyway, that was like probably like the Monday or Tuesday. Something else happened in the next 48 hours. I think one of my tenants said, you need to come down, your front door's open. I thought, that's weird. I went down and the door wasn't open, but the tenant next door was behaving a bit odd, which is a bit odd anyway. Anyhow, I text the tenant again and I said, right, I'd like to meet, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll see you Saturday, 2 o'clock. So I thought, okay, so communication's great, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I turned up at 2 o'clock. The house looked empty. He wasn't there. The door was shut. 10 past 2, no answer. Half 2, no answer. Put my key in lock. My key didn't work in my lock. He changed the lock. So, whoa, I thought. Alarm bells. Alarm bells, yeah. So I ringed my joiner, Tom. I said, listen, we're going to have to force access here. We need to get him. No reply from my tenant now. And, um, oh man, like the devastation. We, we forced access. And uh, if, if you've never seen a cannabis farm, you can't imagine the devastation. And it's given me goosebumps talking about it now because they'd smashed holes in chimney breasts. Really, they'd yeah. smashed holes in the ceiling. They'd installed full-on industrial ducting out the roof. Um, they'd... Basically, they hacked the electric and set up um, like 20 electric points. There was 277 plants in the house, the yeah, soil. Yeah. And you know what? The police hadn't even contacted me. I, I, I still find it hard to believe that the police would have uncovered that and not made some efforts know, to find yeah. out who the owner is. Surprising. Yeah. I was gobsmacked. The plants, the mess, the smell, the plastic sheet and the lining. The strange tenant that said, oh, we thought there was something going on. We could hear a funny noise at night, but she didn't think to tell me. Anyway, I remember I was going on holiday on the Saturday, on the Saturday morning. Um, and I thought, right, I, I ring the insurance company. And this is the big learn that I kind of want to get across. So I rang the insurance uh, and they sent me some PDF paperwork over. And it was in that moment that I realised, oh my God, I might not actually be covered for this. I've been paying insurance since the moment I went and I'm really big on making sure I'm not underinsured yeah. and it's mm -hmm. all done above board and done right. Um, no shortcuts, no nothing. Very early on, the broker advised me, he said, you need to be very careful that you meet all these criteria. And I looked at them and there was one criteria there that was like, oh my God, I don't meet that bit. Is that going to trip me up? And this is the bit that I want to share and you, for yourselves. Yeah. It said, 
as the landlord, you have to have visited the property in a 90 day window, every 90 days, and you need almost some kind of record that can demonstrate you've been. Yeah. And what they're, trying to get, what they're trying to get away from and what they're trying to avoid is, they're trying to uh, avoid absentee landlords that mm. just pick a property up, throw it out there, don't give a shit who's in it, yeah. how they're operating in it. Now, I felt really aggrieved because you, I think you can tell from looking at all my stuff, I'm fully hands-on. It's my job. It's been my job for 10 years. Yeah. I'm in and out of my properties daily. Look, we're in one of our properties yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. It just so happens, and I, I've gone through the chronology with you, because he was a great tenant, because he wasn't you with me. Can you yeah. see how I've fallen into that yeah. trap of, yeah. and that cost me in excess of 18 grand because the damage, yeah. yeah. And then I had to take a decision. Do I spend like 12 grand putting it back to a single let? Yeah. Or shall I just bite the bullet and spend 18? It wasn't much extra and do a four bed minimo. That was my first minimo. Okay. And actually it's been a smart move because it now obviously produces more money than a single yeah. let. I was fed up when it was a single let. I wasn't making any money. So um, So that was the catalyst sort to get you into the, the whole HMO side of things? No, no, because I was into HMO, but that just got me thinking now. I've, since then I've done three beds, four beds. I mean, I've got five, six and sevens, but... I'm not afraid of doing four bed minimos all yeah, day long. Okay. I'm not afraid. It, it lets really well. It's consistently full. It's very low maintenance because four people, there's a huge difference between a three and four person HMO and a six and seven. Mm -hmm. Six and seven creates more uh, rubbish. Yeah. Six and seven creates higher uh, load on the property from a maintenance and a, and a kind of like aesthetic point of view. Them three and four beds, they're normally one bathroom or do you try and squeeze two? Or well, do do? with that four bed, I, we, we just modernised the bathroom, took the bath out. See, the other thing to say as well is when it's a, an HMO, I don't mind spending money on an HMO because you're getting that return back. Mm -hmm. yeah. When it's a single let, you, you operate, you quite often operate it from a quite a stingy, miserly mindset. Yeah. So in that issue, we, we, we used it as an opportunity to upgrade the bathroom, upgrade all the bedrooms, add additional bedrooms, put extra sound quality in, put a brand new boiler in, mm. skim it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the pole. I mean, it needed all of that because it needed a lot of that because of the damage. Yeah. But that I'm really proud of that property now. It was my first one that we bought for 70. It's now a four bed minimo commercially it's going to have that commercial valuation it's never going to get the commercial val because it's still a house in a yeah. cul-de-sac but yeah. um i'm getting good good return on that and nice. and i'm and i'm engaged and motivated and and happy to visit that property whereas with the single let sometimes they can grind you down a bit because right. you you've bought into it hoping to make a bit of cash and yeah. you just don't really get it so that thing as well with void periods if you have a void period with a single let I mean, you're just not getting the rent for that month. Whereas if it's, if a room is void in a HMO, it's only one room. You still have the other three. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And one thing I've found as well, as I've got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger on the number of rooms, I think I'm, I'm I think I have less voids because basically any call that comes in, you can usually service it because you've got that capacity. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, and I think you'll experience that in your SA business. Yeah. Cam talks about it when you've got multiple SAs, if this one's got a leak or if this one's, something's going on, yeah. you can move them around. Move yeah. yeah, so that's a really nice thing mm -hmm. about having... It can be having, very costly if you've only got one and you've got a 
find them somewhere else to stay or yeah. are you staying with the hating road? And when we had the fire just down the road, you asked me about what happened to that building down the road. There was a fire next door to one of our properties, which affected our property. Yeah. But I was able to resettle everyone. So that's a nice little feature about having SA units, HML units, some single lets. Yeah. You all seem to be like on the same street as well. In this instance, I've got a high concentration around here, which I love. In hindsight, knowing what I know now, I'd say have a have a patch, know your patch, but definitely go for concentration because mm. this is easy to clean. You can send a cleaner around. She can rattle around all the houses in, in a set day. Yeah. It's easy for me to come and service. If I meet a tenant as a to show them a room if they don't like that one i can show them that one if there's an issue in that one i can move them so mm. some real value in having concentration and i think i think so in sa as well definitely yeah if you need to re yeah. rehouse someone yeah. overnight or if whatever the, if, there's, if, if there's 12 contractors and your house only owes six mm. six in this six in the other mm. um keys when your tradesmen come the tradesmen can hit it's all easy. your yeah there's so many advantages yeah. and it sometimes makes me think guest houses, hotels, th yeah. th there's some real value in just going for a property that just has more density and more utilisation to it. Mm -hmm. You can see that even apartments, like even a block, if you had three or four units in the one block of apartments, you know, as they say. Yeah. You know, it seems no. easier to manage. Same yeah. thing, same the thing. The, around the time of the cannabis farm is when I really started getting wise to this concept of sweating the asset and squeezing the lemon. Yeah. Um, and this particular asset, for example, upstairs we had a uh, small rear bedroom. We dragged the door forward in, onto the landing to create a ensuite. We created an ensuite in the front room, and like this example I showed you, it's, it's a shame the camera can't see it. But there's, you know, this area, this vestibule that was underutilized. We've now created a toilet here and a shower and sink. So mm -hmm. that's one thing I really do spend a lot of time. I look at the asset physically look at the 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 right. floor plan yeah. and think how can i utilize look at this conservatory in this yard yeah. you know and if you think about it what's the point of having a big garden in hmo no but the conservatory is a smart move isn't yeah. it mm -hmm. you don't need you don't need huge circulation areas outside mm -hmm. they hardly spend any time so tip for the tip for viewers tip for you guys i i, I used to it used to call it the twist it was a dolph de roost um phrase but when you're looking at a deal, think, where's there a twist in this asset? Maybe you can go into the loft in the future. Uh, maybe you can extend into the garden. Maybe you can extend inward or adapt the, the floor plan inward, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and find an additional room. Yeah. So I'm always looking for the twist. Mm. It's a nice little... So with your properties then that you have, how would you go about sourcing them? Would you use right move, go through agents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we touched on this before. So I, the way I've done it, I've not paid sources to source me properties. And the, and the reason being, I'm so focused on the patch, so focused on making sure I can get to all my assets within like a 25-minute time yeah. radius. There's, just, there's no real value. Like, you know, say I said to you guys, right, guys, I want you to focus on a 25-minute radius of St. Helens. or yeah. You're going to come back really with very similar results to what, what, you would find to what I'd find myself. Yeah. Now, I, think, I think sourcing is relevant. If, if, so if you're watching this or, or you're in London or you're in Scotland or you're in Wales or even abroad and you think I'd love a piece of the action in St. Helens or Liverpool, then someone like myself or you guys, absolutely sourcing and you're clearly building local knowledge with letting agents and, and yeah. trades and estate agents and landlords and uh, tenant community, mm. that you would be great people to source for people, absolutely. 
All right, so uh, Ian, what would three tips be now? What would three tips be that you'd give to anyone starting off in HMO? In HMO, I mean, and they, and these are uh, the, these tips apply to property, HMO, single let, buy to let, but definitely everything costs more. Every everything costs more, and also prices are rising. So we 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 had this famous moment like a year ago where we priced at Argos all our lamps, all our. Uh, bedside lamps are we are at howden's we priced all our fire doors and our intermittent strips and in the space of six months prices increased seriously yeah yeah, yeah. i remember the lamps at argos for example were six quid yeah. and we meant to get them you know a couple of months later they were nine quid really? yeah. not much but when you scale it up by like six seven eight rooms oh, fire doors went up yeah so prices will always rise everything will cost more as quick as you can systematize everything even something as simple as your, your corgi gas safe corgi gas safe 65 quid as you scale from one to two to five to ten to fifteen to twenty mm -hmm. if all if, if 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 in one month all of a sudden you've planned it wrongly and you've got 20 gas safes due at 665 a pop that's 1300 quid on gas safes yeah so stagger them stagger your license applications okay. try and stagger everything um I, I, I've switched all, nearly all of my rent collections to weekly because from a cash flow point of view, um, I know I've got that regular cash flow coming in mm. at the end of every week yeah. and I can just really spread all my costs. Put down as a tip about, around trades, around making sure you build a really good network. You saw me in action there with the electrical team. They look like fab guys, don't they? Yeah, and yeah, and they are. Yeah, yeah. They're... they're, 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 they're it's important, I think, that you find the right trade for the right level you're operating. Mm -hmm. So at the scale I'm at now, I need jobbing plumbers, jobbing electricians. Do you know that term, jobbing? Do you know what I mean when I, I say jobbing? It's kind of like a, it's a trade term. When plumbers and electricians and, and, and gas installers set themselves up, some will set them up as central heating system installers. That's all they want to do is install central heating all day. Yeah. Some of the joiners will set themselves up as alongside a roofer. They'll just want to roof all day long. The term jobbing means they're generally going from job to job in a van and they're and they're, they're geared up for some of the smaller jobs like changing a thermostatic rad valve on a, on a, on a, on a radiator or roofing wise doing some small flashing repairs what you need is you need a good supply a good a good network of job in tradesmen so that's quite often small smaller local operating from a small van or, or in some cases, you might have a guy who's operating out of an estate car. When you're doing this yourself and when you're running it at a smallish scale, which I still think, you know, yeah. 25,000, 100 rooms, whatever it is, you, you want the right kind of trade for the, for your size. Yeah. And, and you're going through that with your serviced accommodation business. What were the name of the ladies? Sweeping ladies? Sweeping sisters. Sweeping sisters. Yeah. They sound the perfect size for your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be a company out there called Northwest... Um, cleaners and they might have like 150 cleaners but they might be wanting 18 pound an hour and mm. that might not be the right model for your yeah. business so there's some tips lessons wise tenants have different values to you and you and, and, and like when you're developing your assets you've really got to get yourself in the mindset of the tenant mm. all the time the tenant avatar the, the, the guest and develop it for them don't develop it for yourself because they have different values to you quite often the types of tenants you're dealing with in HMOs, not all of them can manage money. Again, it's a generalization, mm -hmm. but you've got to be aware. I think there's kind of like there's, there's one or two or three different types of people that come into an HMO. You might have a younger person 
leaving home for the first time and starting out in life. Or on the flip side, you might have a maturer person who for whatever reason has been spat out of society mm -hmm. and is finding themselves, if you like, falling into the HMO world. So that could yeah. be relationship breakdown, it could be drug addiction, it could be drink addiction, it could be a gambling, a problem that's that's gone on in their life that's, them to... that's like forced them or caused them to come into shared housing. So, um, you know, be aware of that. I've put the example, they might not be able to manage money. They might be managing an addiction or something. And mm -hmm. it's not to say you can't work with them as a tenant, but you've just got to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Their the mindsets are different. Lesson, I don't know, lesson funny story was how um, every year, uh, it took me about four years to pick up on this, but the, this, this guy's been with me for over 12 years. And in the first year, it got to August, September, and I got the phone call to say, oh, problem problem at work, problem with the wages, I'm only going to be able to pay this, this month and that next month. Like, yeah. Okay, you know, and it, it, 10 months of great record, I'll, I'll allow that. Happened the year after, happened the year after. And by the fourth year, we realised that every year he was coming back with a fresh tan. <laughs> yeah, and what, it, what he was doing was, and and, and it, I've kind of, but that guy's been with me for, I mean, his, when he came, his child was five and a half. His child's now 20, so he's been with really? me a, yeah, he's been with me a long time. And, and it's just to say that, you know, I think this game's about ebbing and flowing with the landlords. It's about, it's about with the tenants. It's about giving and taking with the tenants, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that flexibility, um, as long as it's by mutual agreement. You know, now, I'm, we kind of laugh and a joke and we go, oh, I wonder when so-and-so's holiday is going to be. You know? yeah. I mean, so I'd just say be, being flexible. And, and, you know, I told you about the way I kind of managed the... Uh, it's, it wasn't an eviction, it was the moving on process, but yeah. it, I think it's a very hands-on business if you do it right, and it's about, if you want to succeed in it, it's about being there and being on site and being connected to your people and uh, knowing knowing not just the names, but knowing the faces and knowing the backgrounds. And I think if you, if you approach it with that view in mind, it's not easy work, it is hard work, I think you'll do okay. Yeah, perfect. Sounds like a good place to wrap up that, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Thanks very much. It's yeah. been great. Yeah, it's, it's been, been good. Pleasure. It's been good. That I wish you really, really well on your journey. I think from what I've seen about the way you've kicked off your SA journey, I think if you do foray into small HML, I think you'll do well. So, wish you the best much. of success, yeah. boys. So, thanks very much. Thanks for, thanks for listening and for watching. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. Bye. We talk about property, business and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors and our journey to health, wealth and happiness. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.